The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my father, father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and become my disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. The book of Acts is the story of the growth of the church, and it starts with the mission in Jerusalem. And today we have the opportunity to learn a little bit about a very interesting character in the early church, Philip. Now, there are two Philips in the New Testament, so it's important to keep this straight. One was a disciple who followed Jesus and knew Jesus, uh, ministered with him. But the other is the Philip of our story, who is Philip the Evangelist. Now, from what we read in Acts, the early church, the nascent church, uh, grew so rapidly in that first century that there were some tensions that built up in the church. I think we, uh, when we find that there's tension or conflict in the church, we think this is so unique to us. You know, the church is supposed to be perfect. We're pretty fortunate here because we have not had significant conflicts, so I, I even, I'm even reluctant to talk about it. But I know so many congregations that have struggled with tension and conflict and think that this is just us. Well, it happened in the first century. It happened to the earliest gathering of the church. And the conflict was kind of an interesting one. It was a conflict between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Now, the, uh, the, the, the focus of that was that the Hellenists believed that the widows of the Hellenists were not getting their fair share of the food that was offered to the widows. Now, Hellenists were uh, people of the diaspora. They, many of them spoke a different language. They came from a different culture. Ethnically, they may have been different. And the Hebrews were those who continued to be around Jerusalem and in what we call the Holy Land, and they, of course, were maintaining the traditional Judaism. So there was some natural tension between those two groups. Well, the apostles, uh, realizing that uh, this conflict had to be settled, called the people together and asked that they identify seven who were known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And they eventually uh, ordained these people as deacons. 
So the, uh, the disciples said, we can't wait on tables. We don't have time for that. So we need somebody to do that. And they ordained these seven as deacons to care for the fair distribution of food to the poor and to the widows. It's important, I think, for us to realize that, that, that this order of deacons came very, very early in the formation of the church. Now, two of those seven were Stephen and Philip. Stephen eventually was stoned, and the Greek-speaking believers in Jerusalem were persecuted. And that persecution eventually resulted in the growth of the church. It's kind of an odd thing that out of that persecution came the spread of the gospel into a very broad area. The other thing that's interesting about that persecution is that it was led by the one that we know of as Paul. It's amazing how God can work with people who go off in an odd direction, even to the point of bringing people to death and to prison who were practicing their faith. And suddenly Paul has this amazing experience of conversion where he encounters the living Christ. All of this is in this amazing book of Acts. Well, Philip is one of those Hellenistic Christians who was fleeing from Jerusalem. But perhaps unlike the others that fleed, he had direction from an angel of the Lord. And the angel said, you should go to Gaza from Jerusalem and find the wilderness road. Now, there is not really a lot of desert between Jerusalem and Gaza. So this wilderness road is kind of a mysterious thing. But anyway, he, he headed out. He didn't ask questions. He did what the, what the angel said. Little did he know that he would encounter an amazing person on the same road. It happened that the treasurer of the court of the Queen of Ethiopia had gone up to Jerusalem in order to worship. And he was on his way back to Ethiopia. He, throughout uh, Acts, in this, this account, we don't hear him referred to as the Ethiopian. We hear him referred to as the eunuch. And it's important that we uh, recognize that because as a eunuch, he was not able to worship in the temple as others would. And he was probably also what the Jews would have called a God-fearer, someone who was a Gentile but who embraced the Jewish faith but did not become fully, in, uh, fully included because they did not submit to circumcision. So because he was a God-fearer, because he was a eunuch, he was not able to go into the temple to worship. But he had made this long pilgrimage, it must have been very difficult, in order to go to Jerusalem to pray. Well, Philip comes upon him and, in fact, starts running alongside of this guy's chariot. And he realizes that, uh, that the eunuch is reading from the Isaiah scroll. And in that, at that time in, in antiquity, really up until about the fourth century, scripture was read aloud. And some scholars think that it was only uh, in the development of the monasteries that uh, people started to read silently in Scripture in order to not disturb all of the other monks. So he was reading Scripture aloud, and he was reading this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, silent before his shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. One might imagine that the eunuch 
could relate to the humiliation. He could relate to being sheared, because in a sense, he had been. And as uh, Philip heard him reading, Philip said to him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I understand? I need someone to help me, someone to interpret for me. So Philip did. And Philip related to him the account of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and the connection of that with what, what is referred to as Second Isaiah and this servant song that he was reading. Now, as they go along, this is a little bit like a fairy tale, by the way. <laughs> I have trouble sometimes trying to, to keep myself realizing, you know, it's pretty fantastical, but in it is so much truth. As they go along, they happen to see some water off to the side. And the eunuch says to, G, uh, to uh, Philip, is there any reason I cannot be baptized? And Philip simply baptizes him. I always think of an experience I had in South Dakota when I uh, hear this read. Uh, every year they have an event called the Niobrara Convocation. And Native Americans come uh, from all over the country, but especially from the reservations in South Dakota. And the other Native Americans are are Sioux related to people on the reservation. So it's a fairly large gathering, and the highlight of it is the Eucharist. And this one particular year, we were in a large tent, and there were probably uh, two or three hundred people gathered for it. And at every one of these, there's a baptism. And as we came to the time of baptism, the bishop said, those who will be baptized, please come forward. And a bunch of parents got up and ran out into the parking lot and grabbed their kids and brought them in to be baptized. And I thought about how careful we are about preparing people for baptism. And what they did was just respond. They, they wanted to be baptized. I heard a Lutheran minister talking about this passage. And he said that uh, at, when he, after his sermon, he said, does anyone here want to be baptized? One man stood up and said, I would like to be. So they baptized him. I think sometimes we let some of these things that we see as, as necessary in the church get in the way of the spirit. It was clear that what the eunuch wanted was to be fully included into the household of God. And this was the opportunity for him to do that. I think that's the way with those kids that came in from the parking lot. They were embraced, brought into the church, baptized in that moment. An interesting thing, I think, about this passage is that the interaction between Philip and the eunuch is really driven by questions. Do you understand what you are reading? How can I unless, I, unless someone guides me? Who is the prophet speaking of? What is to prevent me from being baptized? I believe we need to pay close attention to our questions. I believe that our questions open us to the Spirit of God. I believe that it is through the questions, when we open ourselves and ask why, how, I think then the Spirit encounters us. So I think that our journey of faith is really one that must be based on our questions. Not just all the stuff we think we know, but the things that we don't understand that draw us out. I think it's also particularly interesting uh, in this uh, scripture uh, what it says about the spirit in the world and how the spirit engages us. 
uh, when the eunuch uh, heard the good news, it dawned on him that perhaps there was nothing that would prevent him from being baptized. That no longer was it about who he was. And for so much of his life, it was always about who he was. It was not about whether he was rich or poor, or whether he came from the right class, or whether he came from the right family, or was the right race. And especially for him, it wasn't about right sexuality. We and the eunuch come just as we are, and we are embraced, and we are welcomed. Tragically, I think, too often, we clergy and many well-meaning Christians, uh, through our judgment of others representing the church, push them out and put up a sign that says, no, you're not equal, you're not ready, you can't be here. And it can happen in such a subtle way. I believe that we are called to simply set the table and invite people to partake of the banquet. I think this surprise encounter for Philip is also a reminder to us that we cannot possibly understand how the Spirit is going to engage us and draw us into another aspect of our life of faith. It may be a chance encounter with someone very different from us, like Philip and the eunuch. They could not have been more different from each other. And in that moment, perhaps just being present, just being another human being, there to listen and hear what that person has to say, it may be someone in great need, and we are the ones who have the capacity to meet that need. It may be a friend or a family member, and in a moment that presents itself, we are able to say a word of encouragement or a word of hope and comfort for them. The Spirit will put before us the opportunities to, lead, to live out our life of faith in ways that we could never possibly imagine. I believe that this scripture is saying to us, if the Spirit can arrange a baptism out in the middle of nowhere that is officiated over by Philip, this Hellenistic Jew, uh, for a eunuch who is of the household of the Queen of Ethiopia, anything, truly anything, is possible. Amen. Amen.